Welcome to the Beyond 3D podcast, where we explore all things 3D and the important role that 3D data plays throughout the manufacturing process, driving decisions throughout a product's life cycle. Here, we talk with industry analysts, business owners, developers, and industry influencers, and hear real stories that you can relate to and learn from, and know which trends and technologies apply to your business. So join us as we go Beyond 3D. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Beyond 3D. I am your host, Angela Simos, and we are here with a special guest, Sean Bryant, who is owner of CAD FM Consultants and also owner of the Not Just CAD blog. He's also member, he's part of the Autodesk Expert Elite group, has been doing this work, this kind of work, consulting in the AEC space for 25 plus years. And, and Sean and I personally go back uh, many years uh, from our Autodesk do, days. Yeah. And so it's been great to reconnect with you here, Sean. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. It's great to be here and also great to meet Jonathan as well. Yes. And so from the TechSoft side, we have Jonathan Giroir, who is technical evangelist with TechSoft 3D. So hey. today, hey, Jonathan, sorry. So I know today we're going to talk about what's happening in the AEC space, some of the you know advances that have been happening recently. But before we jump into that, Sean, in addition to the intro we just gave, can you tell us a little about yourself, You know how you got started, and then some of the work that you're currently doing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Well, many, many years ago, I was a civil and structural engineer, primarily in the petrochemical industry, basically designing all those big steel structures that you've got behind you on your little wallpaper behind you right now. Um, One of my banes of my life was metal staircases, I remember. Just, yeah, too many of those on any petrochemical installation. But yeah, I started off, I was the youngest guy in the office, in the drawing office. They threw me at AutoCAD and seven years later, I ended up as the CAD manager of the company. So looking after about 25 CAD guys and slowly over time, I kind of drifted into the Autodesk channel through various different roles. Some for, I was working for resellers, training centers and so on. And then came along Weirdly enough, 9-11, and one of my biggest clients in the UK at the time was, in essence, General Motors, and they sucked all of their CAD function back into the US. So I lost about 400 seats of AutoCAD and Inventor at the time. So it was like, you know, the company I was working for kind of um, said to me, well, we can keep you on, but on a freelance basis. And basically, I never looked back. I'm still here. Obviously, things awesome. have changed. Things have changed dramatically. Um, so I primarily train and consult now. I'm an Autodesk certified mm-hmm. instructor, Autodesk expert elite, and do a lot of um, subject matter expert type stuff now. I'm working very closely with Autodesk. And as you quite rightly said, I'm a LinkedIn learning author as well. So yeah, that's pretty much it. If I could clone myself, I'd do more, but obviously I can't. So. And what are what are some of the things you've been working on recently? Like, um, I know... When we had our conversation before the podcast, there were some pretty cool projects you were working on. Yeah, yeah. Um, Well, one of the big ones I'm working on right now is, and it's a personal thing, I'm a bit of a, like Jonathan, I'm a bit of a technologist and love all the technical stuff that's going on out in the world right now. And one of the projects I'm working on, it's a personal project, but it's my local church. And I've done the drone survey of the local church and taken all the stills from that. And I'm slowly building up a 3D model of my local mm-hmm. church. And I'm probably going to try and create some sort of not just CAD white paper on it. Almost like, you know, I'm a complete beginner and this is how I did it kind of thing. But 
One thing it's taught me, especially in today's current environment, is we get a lot of talk about digital twins, all that kind of stuff. And you suddenly realize, I mean, the little church that I have in the little village where I live in East Yorkshire is tiny, but there's people creating digital twins of cities. And I've suddenly realized the amount of work that goes into transposing something real life into a digital twin. And also, more importantly, that golden thread that everybody talks about, where you have all the information from the original real life thing to the digital twin as well. And it's it's been an interesting journey. Um, I was obviously joking with you pre-podcast, and it's it's a it's a real learning curve, and for me because as we talked, you know, I, I originally come from a, a good old flat two D AutoCAD drafting background. That's that would that was my bread and butter for many many years, and now we're we're seeing we're, we're seeing a transition to something that a lot of the two D people in this world right now a kind of thinking, oh my goodness, I'm going to lose my job. And they're not. That's the thing. And I can see Jonathan wanted to say something right then. So jump in at any time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Going from, from 2D to 3D, that's been a long transition, but a, a natural one. I think about the, the, the Autodesk um, journey from, from AutoCAD 30 mm-hmm. years ago, being fully 2D and, and they started to invest in, in 3D and within the AutoCAD product itself, but then also bringing online, developing Inventor, and then also the acquisition of Revit, really 3D centric, yeah. right? And so there's, mm-hmm. you're always moving data back and forth between the two of those, but it's, it's been a very slow journey kind of moving towards that. And not just in, you know, we're talking about building a construction today, but we see the same exact struggle and also the benefits in the mechanical CAD world too, where you have a lot of people <laughs> using 2D drawings and wanting to, and, and moving to 3D and reaping the benefits of that. But it is a very slow transition and doesn't have to be painful. Exactly, exactly. And one of the things that I'm starting to discover now, especially with, with the 3D side of things and, and this digital twin thing, and it can be a digital twin of anything, it doesn't have to be AEC, like you quite rightly say, in the manufacturing and production industries as well. I mean, one of the typical ones that I always think about being a bit of a petrol head is the car manufacturing industry. There, there, are, there are still people, I, if I remember rightly, I think it's Mazda, still make all of the clay full-size models of the cars. Wow. There's still some designers there doing that. And traditionally, that's... That's the way they've done it. And you'll always get that kind of comment, oh, we've done it like that forever. And it's like, my argument there is, well, why don't you try it this way and just see what happens? And Mm -hmm. we're starting to really see now, a lot lot of the bigger kind of AEC companies now have an innovation department or a research Mm -hmm. and development department. And what they're doing is they're looking at technologies that they can apply to their particular projects and we, we were talking strangely enough I, I i host another podcast called beams and columns um over on linkedin with a colleague of mine and we were talking to a guy called matthew bird from the reality capture network last night and we, we got onto a conversation where it was like companies need to seriously kind of think about this because you're you're still getting the likes of say a starbucks where two architects are going in with tape measures and ladders 
and, I, and I'm and I, I, if I was sitting so there crazy. at Starbucks, I, I would kind of put my hand up and say, "What are you guys doing?" Need um, help? <laughs> yeah, do you need help? You know, and but but the the issue is that they're so entrenched in that methodology, and if they kind of pop their head over the parapet, they'd realise that if they came in when the Starbucks was shut, put their mm-hmm. lidar three D scanner in the centre of what is probably a reasonably small space. Mm-hmm. Just span it around a few times, they'd be done in 45 minutes and they probably have more data than they actually need. And it's right. it's that transition that is is just beginning to kick in. And I'm sure Jonathan will probably confirm this. We're moving away from 2D finally, which is great. You know, I I mean, yeah, you know, it paid my mortgage for goodness knows how long. But now we're at a point where we can have a 3D model, a digital twin, whatever you want to call it, and you extract the data from the model to generate the 2D that you need. Mm-hmm. That's where we need to be. Revit is great at it. Inventor is great at it. I mean, Inventor's got some amazing tools. And the other one that's kicked in, the second generation software with Autodesk right now is Fusion 360. Right. That is just, I went to a demonstration of that recently on the educational side where we now have what we call university technical colleges. So it's a more vocational way of learning. You don't go and do an engineering degree. You do a certificate. I think it's a higher national certificate in engineering or something. But the university technical colleges, you're getting a university education, but it's hands-on. So Autodesk have jumped on this and they're giving them all the licenses of Fusion and so on. And the students, it's a totally different environment now. They'll be sitting in the hallway, jumping into the cloud to go and work on their design. They can be anywhere. They can be on an iPad. They can be Mm -hmm. on a laptop. And it's revolutionized the education of the younger generation. And this transition where companies are slow to adapt, they're employing the younger people, and the younger people are teaching the older guys how to use technology to work faster. So So it's a natural evolution. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Yeah, it's an uh, and also as well, you know, you get this kind of comment from people, oh, I'm, I'm going to lose my job. And it's like, you're not going to lose your job at all. All you're going to do is adapt to new technologies and mm-hmm. do your job differently. Yeah, more and efficiently. I, more efficiently, yeah. And that's Absolutely. where, and unfortunately, as humans, we are so resistant to change. That, that's, we, we are probably the one species on this planet that is the most resistant to change. If you look at nature, everything just adapts. You know, I, I mean, look, at I'll, I'll give you an example. Ants, okay? And this is my David Attenborough bit, all right? Ants, if, they, if they're trying to take food from one place to another and they can't get there, they work out a way to build a bridge of, say, leaves or twigs or whatever to go over it, under it, round it. They just keep going. They're, they're relentless. Mm-hmm. And if we could be like that on a sort of, mental calculation level when we're looking at change things would be tremendous but we're not ants and we're yeah. always going to be resistant to change unfortunately yeah. it's just the way we are. so that's yeah change management is always really tough especially in large organizations that have been around for a while you mentioned that now we're seeing directors of innovation at construction companies because the 3d is there like that's undeniable that we have this there's tools for it 
But the question is like, okay, now what? What can we do? So, so it's, it is being driven by some of our, our younger employees, which, which is fantastic. But what, what are you seeing? Are you seeing in the market? So we have, we have digital twin technology. We have 3D software. We, we're familiar with it, but these directors of innovation, what are, what are some of the things you're seeing them do that's particularly exciting or the problems that they're trying to solve? I think one of the biggest problems that they're trying to solve is, and it goes back to my little church project that I'm working on, is getting real world data into the digital world. That 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 is the big thing, and having those silos of information mm-hmm. that people can access. That's the thing. It, it's having, I suppose, if it's having the holy grail of that one model that everybody works on. And having that, that all those different applications, technology, and so on joining together. And one of the things that Autodesk announced, weirdly enough, at um, Autodesk University last year, is they're now going fully into the cloud. So yeah. you've now got Autodesk Former, Autodesk Fusion, and Autodesk Forge, I think it is. So Forge is like the API development side. Mm-hmm. Fusion is production mechanical. and former is AEC. And what they want to do is, in it, I suppose, the way I saw it, and this is my personal view, so if anybody at Autodesk from their legal department thinks otherwise, let me know. But the former side of things is, is along the lines of they have this great big model in the cloud and everybody works on that big model in the cloud. And the tech, um, one of the things that's happened as well over the last 20 odd years as well is things like hardware and technology have moved along at pace. I mean, look at an iPhone now. An iPhone now has got a LiDAR scanner on it. You can get, there's various apps out there. You've got Canvas, you've got Polycam. There's various other ones as well. I can just walk around my room with my iPhone and I can get a 3D scan of my room or, mm-hmm. or my house, actually. Weirdly enough, I've, I've just used Polycam to mesh my kitchen because we're refurbishing the kitchen, you know, things like that. And that sort of technology at that level where it's so easy to use is is where it's going to go. And you're seeing everybody, you know, popping the VR headsets on. You saw the new Apple one that came out Mm -hmm. recently. All of that technology in 20 years' time is going to allow us to, in essence, not dispose of a 2D drawing. We would still have a 2D, I, I want to say image, but that's not quite right but a 2D entity that you will be able to get from any model in the cloud. That's where I can see it going. So you'll sort of say to the cloud, please give me a 2D elevation or show me the north side of the building in a 2D elevation with dimensions. And you'll just go confirm, and there it is. And you'll have probably something along the lines of a PDF Straight away, you won't need to do anything with it. You won't need to draft it. You won't need to shade it. You won't need to dimension it because that will all be done by the technology. So I and we're we're always going to work in a flat two D environment because that's just kind of it's how our brains process stuff. I mean, I don't I don't know about you, Jonathan, but when I'm sitting there in a three D piece of software, there are moments where I'm like spinning around and orbiting, and it's like I still can't see that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, getting a slice of your data is always always helpful. Yeah, but then also seeing it in context. So there's 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 definitely a time and place for both. But no matter what, Absolutely. 
like you do need both and yeah, to simplify things down to a, a least common denominator is really important. But I think that point where everything is, everything's in the cloud, everything's moving there. If you're not, if you're not there yet, or if you don't have a cloud strategy, you're, you're, you're behind, you're, you're a laggard. It's, it's not, it, that Great. is, is definitely yeah. the future mm-hmm. and I, or, I no, the present. I moved all of CADFM consultants into the cloud, you know, all the, the, the business documents, everything else. I did that about six months ago. And it, I mean, from a just from a hard drive perspective, it was like, wow, all my computers are working so much faster now. <laughs> you know, and, it, and it's great, you know, because all I'm running really is my Autodesk applications and, well, Office. And that, I mean, Office now, you know, mm-hmm. I can be working on a Word document and just go hit the share button. I can share that with Angie and just say, hey, you know, have you got any comments on this? You know, and it all just works, well, to a point. Um, obviously, the Microsoft Cloud and OneDrive and everything has its moments, as does everything, though. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I live out in the East Yorkshire countryside now, and the internet isn't that fast. And there are, we've had a couple of days where it's just completely gone. So, you know, I just work offline and do something different. One of the benefits of doing all the LinkedIn stuff is I create raw video that is stored on a hard drive first. I then upload it to the cloud later. So, you know, that I, I can still do work. And I think I think as we move forward, you know, that, that kind of technology, the Wi-Fi technology, the cloud-based technology, it's only going to improve. And we're going to have more storage space, but that storage space will be able to be accessed easily and quicker. It's it's happening all the time. I mean, you know, my, my watch tells me who's at the front door. You know, that it's just, mm-hmm. you know, and 15 years ago, that was unheard of. Absolutely unheard of. Building off Jonathan's most recent question, as far as, you know, what are some of the things that you're seeing people do? For those folks that are still figuring out the transition from 2D to 3D, do you have any suggestions or tips in terms of, all right, here's where you can start because I think that might be part of the problem too, is that they see it as I have to eat the whole pie all at once and no, here's where you can start. So what have you seen companies do as far as a first step? Is it, you know, one project at a time or, you know, changing one system at a time and where have they started? Um, And then we can get into like the fancy stuff of digital twins and what people are really doing these days. Absolutely. Um, I, I will use a quote from a good friend of mine who now works at Autodesk, Matt Murphy. How do you eat an elephant? In small parts. Always. Right. right. When you're approaching something, it starts small. I, I worked for a practice in London, an architectural practice for a little while. And one of the things that they were always concerned about, that Revit was their chosen application, Autodesk Revit. And the thing with Revit is you can generate a project in Revit, but it has to stay in that version of Revit because Revit is not backwards compatible. So if you, say, created it in, I don't know, Revit 2018, if you then install Revit 2019 in your organization, you don't want to bring that 2018 project into 2019 because it will automatically update. So if you then got contractors and so on working on Revit 2018, they then can't access the project files and the central model. So one of the things that this particular practice did was they standardized on a version of Revit for all of their operational stuff. 
And then every time a new version of Revit came along, they put one project on it. So even if you're a small practice and you're signing up to say the latest version of Revit, 2024, just start with one of your smaller, less expansive projects on say Revit or well, in manufacturing, it could be Inventor, for example, or Fusion. And just kind of see how you go. That it is very much, you know, it's like when you're a kid with different sweets, you kind of suck the sweets and see which ones you like, right? And you, you kind of suck in the sweet to see which one you like. And it it take it, it's going to take time. As, as Jonathan quite rightly said, this transition from 2D to 3D has pretty much happened, but it's been a very gradual transition. And I think any organization, big or small, you, you've got to kind of, I suppose, grasp the nettle, make that leap and just say to yourself, okay, I'm going to try this. It's a bit like me with the drone. I just thought to myself, I'm going to buy a drone and I want to see how I get from A to B with this drone. How do I get all that data, that amazing real life data into a 3D model that I can physically use in say Revit or AutoCAD? And I, I've realized that, yeah, there's a lot of work there. I've, I've made some hilarious boo-boos as well <laughs> with, with the drone footage, you know, and reached out, as I said, to various people that, that I know saying, hey, why is this not working? But it's, it's a learning curve. And it's like when we all, you know, transitioned from the boards to something like AutoCAD. It was a learning curve back then. It's like when we moved from, you know, regular snail mail to email and the internet. It's, it's a transitional thing, mm -hmm. and I think there are two points that you've got to remember when you're making that transition. One, it's never going to be easy. There'll always be mistakes, you know, hurdles to get over and so on. And second, be patient. It's, you know, you, you don't have to be first to win the race on this. The idea is take your time and get it right. Learn from the mistakes so that you're then getting it right first time every time, standardizing, you know, CAD standards, all that kind of thing and building up a, a methodology that everybody within the organization can use. And, you know, that's something that I used to do a lot when I was a CAD manager. I, I used to, you know, look at our CAD standard and go, well, how can I make that better? How can I make that easier for everybody to use? And more importantly, how can I make sure that everybody does use it? And can we get our contractors and our stakeholders on projects to use it as well so that when we get a drawing from them, we're not sitting there changing all the layers or using layer aliases in AutoCAD because all their layer names are different to ours and things like that. It's it, it's a gradual thing and it's it, it's not going to happen overnight. But again, when we look at things like the digital twins, again, you know that that's a that's another ball game as well. All this digital twin stuff is fascinating, you know, especially when it comes to a city, you know, where they're trying to develop, you know city digital twins so that they can not just monitor the city but also work out where new developments are going to go and what effect it's going to have and transit and you know travel and you know underground metros all that kind of stuff yeah and so i think that's a good lead into our to the next question on the flip side of most advanced things that you've seen happening with digital twins and what people are doing with the digital twin because i think you know, we've been talking about that for a long time and it sounds nice, but how many people are actually using them the way that I think they're intended to be used and kind of what are, um, what are some of the, the 
most recent advances that you've seen? You want to go with that one, Jonathan? I've been talking quite a lot right now. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a there's a couple. Absolutely, there's um when you you have these massive like like the city gets really complicated. Normally, you have a single site where you have control over that, but when you have multiple domains, multiple companies and invested interest in a particular area in a site or or much larger site, as well as a real combination of legacy um, data. So that has never been, let's say, even existing in 2D or there's no, there's no footprint for that. And then marrying it with, with your infrastructure that you're, you're going to build. It's something, and then at scale. So massive airports, cities, train stations, massive new developments, digital, digital cities. That's where things get really complicated for a number of reasons. First, marrying all the data together. So bringing, bringing all of that together. And most likely, like Sean said, the, the data exists in multiple formats. So it's not just different versions of Revit. It's, it's your 2D data. It's your reality capture data. It's, it's data from Bentley and Navisworks data or IFC data. These are all different formats that different, different companies may have standardized on. And so bringing that together, managing the data, um, registering all of this, finding, finding the ability to bring that and then maintaining, maintaining that, finding all those errors. So that, that learning curve or kind of that struggle to kind of make it usable. So those are some of the, the, the bigger projects that, that can really be impactful, but the, the setup time and, and the learning curve for that is, is also really significant as well. Yeah, agreed. Um, it's, it's, it's getting all of that data together and coalesced into an understandable format. And I mean, even on smaller projects that I worked on with say Revis and Navisworks, for example, right. uh, the architectural practice I was working with in London, for example, we actually used a separate company for all of our coordination on our projects because we just didn't have the time to export from Revit into Navisworks, work out where all the clashes were, it would have taken, it would have probably added years on some of the projects we were working on. So what, what, what you'll find now is, especially with the digital twin side of things, is as Jonathan quite right, there's different companies using different bits of software and you've got to get all of that information together. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things that I, I've kind of learned just doing my simple stuff is when you first start doing, let's say, for example, a drone survey, you have got to have key points on that survey where you know you're going to get data. Now, normally when, when you're doing something like, let's, let's say we're taking drone information into Autodesk Recap, and then we're dropping that point cloud or that mesh into Revit. It's a fairly simple workflow but it's making sure that when you do the drone stuff, which is very, very fluid and very generic, and you want that accurate to say the nearest inch when you're putting steels in or you know concrete or something like that, you've got to make sure that you've kind of set it up properly initially. And this is something I learned from Pete Kelsey only recently is there's so many bits of software out there now where you take, in essence, a flat 2D plan of where you're going to do the drone survey and you set control points on it. And you can actually now talk to your drone and encourage, encourage your drone. It will sit at a certain point 
and you can specify the point of rotation, the height and everything else, and it will take a photograph at that point. And that's how you generate all these photographs from reality, reality capture photogrammetry. That then gets dropped into something like, let's say, Autodesk Recap. Um, I mean, I'm an Autodesk kind of guru. I don't tend to use any other bits of software. I do dabble. But, you know, Autodesk is my primary, you know, methodology when it comes to software. But then Recap will then just kind of take all those little control point photographs. So ideally, if you're looking at a building, you're going to want north, south, east, west elevation and the roof. So you need the plan view of the roof and it just kind of sticks everything together. And the funniest thing was when I first used the drone and, you know, talking about information coming together, I just threw all the videos into recap thinking, oh, okay, it's going to give me a 3D model. No, ain't going to happen. The only way I can describe it is the church project that I'm working on. It's like somebody had picked up the church, twisted it a few times, put a knot in it and dropped it back into the 3D model. <laughs> and I was like looking at this guy and that's not right. That's not and, what I had planned. Uh, yeah, that's not exactly what I had planned. But the thing is, it, it's all about, it's all in the planning. That's the only way I can describe it. And what you've got to do is plan all of your information silos and where things are going to come from. But more importantly, how, as Jonathan quite rightly said, how do you mesh them all together? Mm -hmm. You know, this digital twin is, the only way I can describe it, it's like a cake and it's full of lots of different ingredients. And you've got to make sure those ingredients mix together in a way that someone can get the appropriate information from it. And it's, I suppose if you wanted to use an analogy, it's a bit like setting up a CAD standard. Back in the day when we first started using AutoCAD, we needed to make sure that we had a layer for the doors, a layer for the windows, and so mm -hmm. on. And now that that's kind of, well, obviously information Technology, hardware has moved along a bit since then. But the idea is, is you want to make sure that one, all of the information is in all the right silos, but you've also got people responsible for maintaining those silos. Because if you just leave them there, you can guarantee that someone like the general contractor is going to go, oh, there's that Revit model they mentioned. And they'll just take the model, throw it into Revit, change it all around. And then all of a sudden, your central model doesn't look like it should. and and you know, the situation just gets worse and worse. So you, 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 kind of, you kind of have a methodology that is structured, but at the same time, you want the fluidity at the end where somebody could potentially put their VR headset on and walk around that model. That's mm -hmm. kind of the two ends of it, if you see what I mean. So your comment is leading into my next question, Sean, and I'd love to hear from both of you on this as we wrap up our episode here. Where do you see all of this going in the next five years? I only say five years because 10 years is way too long to predict with the way things evolve so rapidly. So oh, yeah. where, do you, where do you see things going in, in the next five years? Go for it, Jonathan. You go first. Uh, so the, the mapping really of the built world is, is having all of this data at your fingertips in, in a consumable form. So Autodesk is trying to map the world Google's trying to do the same thing with, with their street view. Dassault is, is in the same boat. So they're all creating these, hate to use it, these metaverses, but um, they're creating the digital twin of everything around us. And so a maturity of those. 
and being able to get ubiquitous access to them and even some interoperability between, you know, these, they're, they're all competing for the same space, but it allows us now to, to leverage that value all in the cloud. Absolutely. Connectivity the whole time, a move away from, from Wi-Fi and more to, to 5G and the next generations of this. We're, we're already seeing that just because now the, the data really is at all of your fingertips. And then because we have this massive amount of data, the, the other buzzword, so, so metaverse is dead, that at least as a buzzword, but the new buzzword these days is AI, right? And there is value there. And what really has made AI so powerful when it comes to graphics and the written word, and to some extent video is the amount of data that, that um, we've been able to train it on and the computational power to process that. That's that, that's been the game changer. And if we have all this data in the built world, now we can start to, and we have access to this massive amount of data. Now we can start making some intelligent decisions around our design processes and, and expediting those. And so that, and it's not even five years, like we're talking, we're talking a year, two years, yep. potentially yep. being able to leverage that. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, one of the things I have found incredibly interesting is Obviously, Autodesk announced it at AU last year, where we've now got Autodesk Former, which is basically cloud-based calculations, computing, and so on. And what they did was they took on board a an application called SpaceMaker, which is, if I remember rightly, I think they're Swedish. And they, they bought them, weirdly enough, just before AU last year. And I was already interested in SpaceMaker at this point. I found it quite fascinating because basically what you can do is take, let's say, a cityscape. You can get it in a plan form, but then there's all these different entities, as Jonathan quite rightly said, where you've got digital twins and so on. And it's also utilizing machine learning and AI. And you just basically say to what is now Autodesk Former, I would like this area on a map. So you get your flat map. You then say, right, occupy that, you know, populate it with all the existing buildings that are there. And then potentially you can delete one of those buildings and put your new skyscraper hotel office block in there. But the most important thing about that is it doesn't just include the physical data. You've got sun studies, you've got wind studies, you can even get down to the level where you can work out how much wind is going down a street and whether a person is comfortable walking down that street. You know, you've been to New York, right, where you've got the wind blowing down, mm -hmm. you know, and you're fighting against the wind to get somewhere. And you can actually work all of this out and you can work out how much of the building will be in shade. And it's not just that sun study and that shade study that's important because obviously you want to make sure that that part of the building that's in shade isn't cold. Because the people in that part of the building are going to be cold. The people in the higher part of the building that's above all the other buildings are going to be nice and warm. And you can start looking at relating it to your city bylaws and, you know, how much commercial space you've got and how much residential space you've got. I don't know if it's similar in America right now. But if you do want to build anything above three or four stories, you have to have a mixture of commercial and residential. Mm -hmm. So you'll often have, you know, shops and stores on the lower levels. And then as you go up the tower block, there'll be residential properties and so on. Um, London's doing a lot of that right now where 
basically anything new has to have a mixture of commercial and residential to cover, you know, the fact that I think there's about 500,000 people on the waiting list to get a home right now through social housing in the UK because we're just not building enough homes. Saying that, though, if you drive around the UK, there's building sites everywhere building homes. But we're just not coping with demand, which is quite strange considering how much of a tiny island we actually are. But I'd imagine that's the same worldwide. You know, the global population is going up all the time and people need somewhere to live. So this this former product is incredible because you can kind of go, okay, so that's not working in that particular proposal. So how's about I rotate the building 45 degrees and angle the roof so that we've got solar on the roof and all this kind of stuff? And I, I watched the sort of initial webinar that Autodesk brought out about format. And I, I was absolutely stunned. You know, the, this technology is sitting there and it's all cloud-based. All I need is a login, basically. And I'm accessing every single map and geographical system going and just dropping all of that information in there. And I'm going, oh, okay, there's the outline of my building. And then I can say, oh, it's 36 floors and you know, 18 floors are residential, mm -hmm. 18 floors are commercial, and so on. It's really cool technology. And the other company, um, weirdly enough, do you remember Mark Goldman, Angie? Way mm -hmm. back when, used to work for Autodesk way back when. Mm -hmm. He now so. works for Esri. And oh, what, right, I know them. What, mm -hmm. Yeah, what Esri are doing right now is absolutely fascinating because they allow you to take your beautifully designed Revit model straight into a geographical system. And wow. yeah, um, I spoke to Mark it's quite a, probably a couple of years ago now, and he showed me a model. It was an airport design, and they were really worried about all of the transit ways coming into the airport and whether they were going to get clogged and whether it was going to get busy. So Esri kind of said, well, why don't we just drop the Revit model into the existing geographical system and see what happens with the roads? And I was like, you can do that? And he was like, yeah, here, look, this is what we did. And he showed me the, the project. And like Jonathan quite rightly said, you know, we've got that technology now because everything's in the cloud. The processing side of it, we don't have to think about it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You just say, oh, upload that to the cloud. It's like Autodesk Recap used to be a computer-based product. But now you just have credits and sign up and say, I oh, use X number of credits to process this model. It's 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 going that way. Everything, as Jonathan quite rightly said, if you're not in the cloud yet, where have you been? Mm -hmm. That's the only way I can describe it. And now we just need the advances <clears throat> in VR, right, or AR, yeah. to have the model in front of us that we can spin around and actually manipulate and do things with our our hands, right? And then true science it, fiction will become a reality. It, it, I know, that, I know it's, it's been working. It, I, mean, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Minority Report with Tom Cruise. Exactly what I was thinking, that, yes. That, uh -huh. That's that's mm -hmm. where we're going. That, that yep. is exactly where we're going. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I, I don't want to be the first one to have that chip embedded in my head, though. I'd, I'd rather right. that was tested a bit more first. <laughs> Absolutely. Slow down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll get there. Not in a rush um, to get that yet. Right. Yeah. Um, well, let's wrap this up with any final thoughts. I know we've talked about a lot here. Any final words of advice for folks? Any final thoughts? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's it's make that jump. Don't be afraid, basically. Um, I mean, yeah, he says. But yeah, it's, <laughs> uh, 
I'm one of those people that if I install a new piece of software, I'm clicking on stuff and seeing if I can break it. And a lot of people don't like doing that. That they have that kind of reluctance. Oh, I I might mess up. I might get something wrong. One of the things I've always taught all the way from like AutoCAD Essentials upwards is I've always said to anybody in one of my classes, once you've done the course, go back to your office, find one of your existing projects that you know has been built or whatever, make a copy of it and just jump on it and try and mess it up completely. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you know, it's a copy of it. You know, you're not going to damage you're anything, it. you're not yeah, going to affect mm-hmm. anything operational. So just jump in there and learn. That's the only way I accept. Because when you do your training course, that's when you've got your little stabilizer wheels on. The only way you're going to learn is to take those stabilizer wheels off and go out to the real world and do it. And, you know, as as Nike say, just do it, literally. That, that's <laughs> that's how I would say to go, to go ahead and go forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great suggestion. Jonathan? Yeah, get to the cloud if you're not there already. And go find some fun stuff and play with it. So, so to plug Sean and his LinkedIn courses, like if you don't know where to start, that's a great that's a great place to do that. Uh, if Wait, if you're not a, a mechanical or civil engineer and you're a software developer, go find some of that new technology that that SDK, either the the auto Autodesk platform services or or an SDK to help build this next generation of innovative technology. So that's that's really exciting too. There's it's easier now than ever. Mm-hmm. Being able yeah, to pick up a piece of software and use it, use it for even free to, to, to show its value. Or, or if you're a developer, being able to get um, an SDK and build something really cool for free um, and, and vet its value, it's easier now than ever. Absolutely. And with that, we're going to wrap it up. So thank you both so much. This has been a super fun conversation and very exciting to see where things are going. And so uh, I, I very much look forward to seeing the Minority Report in real life, uh, you know, in maybe less than five years time. Who knows? Who knows? And thanks to our listeners for joining us for another episode of Beyond 3D. If you liked this conversation, click the like button, share it, share this episode with uh, friends, colleagues, uh, share it on social media. And if you haven't hit subscribe, please do so now so that you are notified of all future episodes. And with that, Until next time. Thank you both. Yes, thank you. Bye now. Bye. Thank you for joining us on the Beyond 3D podcast hosted by TechSoft3D. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review or subscribe on SoundCloud. To listen to past episodes or learn more about TechSoft3D, visit www.techsoft3d.com forward slash blog. Send us comments and suggestions at info at techsoft3d.com. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again on the next episode of Beyond 3D.